0: Thank him for his goodness, Amen. So good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, the reason why Brother Grigsby's not here, he's been diagnosed with bronchitis. So, if you will, just hold up Brother Grigsby in prayer, and I know the Lord is going to strengthen him in Jesus' name, Amen. I I want to. I was not uh, scheduled to preach tonight, uh, but uh, Brother. Grigsby called me today and just said, "Pastor, I just, I just don't think that you want me up there coughing." I said, "No, man, don't worry about it. Um, The Lord will give me what we need." So, so what I'd like to do, um, I'd like to talk about all access part two. I'm going to just tell you that I grew up very old school and for me to preach what I preached last week and what I'll preach tonight is not easy for me. But I have studied and I have studied for years now and I have looked and I've researched and I have prayed, sought God and I'm just telling you, I can't just preach what is comfortable. I got to preach what is truth. Amen. It may not necessarily line up with even what I like. But it would, it would be like someone having a cure for cancer and not telling anybody about it. Brothers and sisters, truth will make you free. And I'm bound to speak truth because at the end of the day, I'm going to be standing before God and give an account for what I present to you. So are you ready for the word of the Lord tonight? So God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to start off tonight in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 6. I think it's going to come up on the screen. But I'm probably going to uh, paraphrase it for you. Uh, Second Samuel six and verse six. So what this is talking about is, is that King David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God in all of his glory. He wanted to bring him and uh, transport the Ark of the Covenant to where he wanted it. And so this Ark of the Covenant that represents God, represents his holiness, represents his deity, represents his glory, was on this cart and it was pulled by an oxen. And so I'm going to paraphrase the scripture here. So what it tells you is, is that there was a man, his name was Uzzah. And when this oxen stumbled, then it caused the Ark of God to undoubtedly begin to kind of slide off of this cart. And this man by the name of Uzzah put his hand up to the Ark of the Covenant and immediately God killed him. And so you say, why, why, why did God do that? So here's maybe not the full explanation of why God did that, but here's a part of an explanation. Number one, what you you and I have to understand is that we can't even fathom the holiness of God. Like God is so holy. When Isaiah got a glimpse of it, he said, woe is me. He immediately looked at himself and said, woe is me. In other words, oh, my goodness, I am a man, Isaiah said, of unclean lips because When you are in the presence of a such a holy God, you realize as flesh how unholy that we are. And so this holy God, this flawless God, this unfathomable God in all of his glory was represented in this ark. And so when sinful man touched a holy God, God said, I'll kill you. Because sin cannot touch my holiness. Does that make sense? And so because God is so holy, he says, you can't touch me. You can't touch me. You can't even get close to me because I'm so holy and you are so unclean. This, 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 this can't be. And so God killed him. That's one reason. The next reason is, is because God doesn't need man's help. You have to understand that God, whatever he uses man for it, cause he invites man, not because he needs man. God invites you to co-labor with him, not because he needs you to. You must understand that God doesn't need our worship. He's got angels worshiping him. As I speak, he wants you to worship because you become like what you worship And the best thing you can ever become is like him. And so that's why he wants you worshiping. But God was basically saying when that oxen stumbled and that ark started to slide and that man put up his hand, God was saying, I'll never need man to steady me. I don't I don't have a cane. I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not a cripple. I will never need man to help me. I will always help man, but I never need man to help me. And so because of those two reasons, God's smoting. Why? Again, because God is holy. And, and he is separated from sin. That's why every sin God has to judge or God wouldn't be just if he did not judge every sin. But the reason why you're going to be saved is not only is God just, but God is merciful. And because God is merciful, his blood covers all of our sins. And an unholy man can now approach a holy God because of what Jesus did for us. And I want you and I to understand it is not what you did for Jesus that saves you. It is what Jesus has done for us that saves us. Okay? Does this make sense? So God created us, ladies and gentlemen, all the way back in the garden to have a relationship with us. We need to get this in our mind that the number one thing God wants for all of us is relationship. God not only wants you to talk to him, he wants to talk to you. How does God talk to me? Through his word. God talks to you through his man of God. God talks through you when you get silent and you cut everything else off and the Holy Spirit can speak to you. God wants relationship with us. That's the number one thing that God wants is relationship. That's why he created us. But there's a big problem. There's been a big disconnect and that's called sin. Sin. And because because we are sinful and God is not, then there was a veil in the temple. And I talked Sunday that this veil was supposedly 60 feet long, 30 feet high and anywhere from four to six inches thick. If you'll remember, I told you that it took around 300 priests to carry this veil according to Jewish tradition. So this veil was a big deal. Now, you don't know anything about any of this because we were not born in the Old Testament. We, we were not born during that time. So this is common to you. But if the Old Testament patriarchs came today and saw how you and I can approach God, they would marvel at that. Because only the high priest got to come into the presence of God and he only got to come into it once a year. You and I have such a new covenant that we get to come into the presence of God literally any time that we want to. They couldn't, they didn't have that privilege. So you don't know what it's like not to have that privilege, but they knew what it was like. Why? Because they were under that old covenant. And so because God was holy, he separated himself from man. But now here's the neat thing about God in Christ. Okay. This man, Uzza, touched God and he died. But the neat thing about God in Christ was that Jesus touched people and they lived. The neat thing about the God in Christ is that the God of the Old Testament, nobody could touch him. No one could touch him. If they did, that's what happened to him. God killed him. But Jesus came and Jesus touched everybody. He touched the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. She was an outcast. She was considered a dog. Jesus touched her. The lepers, Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus touched the children. You got to understand the way that we live today is so different than the way they lived. Women were an outcast. Children were an outcast. Gentiles were dogs. The only one that counted was Jewish males back in Jesus's day. Everybody else was second class citizens. And that hurts your feelings and it hurts mine too. But I'm just here to tell you that's the way it was. You and I don't understand that because we don't live in that culture, but that is the culture they lived in. And so here is the reason why that Jesus came and here's why that Jesus got upset in the Gospels, because even though God was showing you in the Old Testament that I hate sin, Jesus in the New Testament was saying, I love sinners, I'm going to say that again. The God of the Old Testament was showing us this side of him. I hate sin and I'll judge every sin. But the Jesus of the New Testament, which was God in Christ, was saying that while ye were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's showing us both sides of God. How much God hates sin in the Old, how much God loves sinners in the New. But it's still all one God. But the reason why God is no longer angry, ladies and gentlemen, is not because man's nature has changed. Because the, the sinful nature of man has not changed. The reason why that there is now that rip, that, that veil that is torn is because of what Jesus did for us. And because of the finished work of Christ, We now can go before God Almighty boldly to ask for grace to help us in our time of need. So, because God wants a relationship with us, let's go back to Old Testament. He set up a religion called Judaism. And that is the way that God could get close to his people. That is as close as he could get was to set up Judaism and set up laws whereby that they could approach him. But when Jesus died on that cross, that thick veil that separated God from man was rent in twain. But here's what I want you to notice. It wasn't what man did. That ripped the veil. It was what God did through his son, Jesus, that ripped the veil. Okay, so I come to you tonight. I'm not trying to cross swords with anybody. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I promise you that's not my intent. But man's righteousness never ripped the veil. It was Jesus and what he did on the cross and the finished work because he lived a perfect life because he walked in total obedience. He had the righteousness of God upon him. It is because of what Jesus did for us that ripped that veil and gives us full access to God. Again, I'm not trying to hurt any of us. I want to remind us, Not, I'm not preaching, ladies and gentlemen, for a response tonight. I am preaching to sow seed in the ground for where TPC is going. TPC is headed for a harvest. And this harvest is not going to look like leave it to beaver families. Because the leave it to beaver families pretty much doesn't exist. But you know who God is reaching for? He's reaching for those who are down and out and feel outcast. They feel like they're second-rate citizens. You know who Jesus is reaching for? Whomsoever will let them come. And TPC is going to experience a harvest. But it may not be, and I'm not looking I'm not looking for lateral growth. In other words, I'm not looking for other people from other churches to come to this church. If they want to come, fine. But that's not who I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that need Jesus. I'm looking for people that need Jesus. I'm looking for people that have broken hearts because he said, I'm the mender of the broken heart. I'm looking for people that don't have anything else. And they say, you know what? I'm going to give Jesus a try. Well, come on in this house because I'm going to tell you, you're going to be greeted by people that are going to love you and accept you for who you are, knowing that if Jesus gives in your heart he can change everything else about your life so now I I got to really thinking about today as I was studying this whole thing on man's righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God and you really study that that's not a pleasant meaning when you when you look up what it means when he's talking about filthy rags um it's, it's it's really not pleasant so when I got to thinking about that and when Adam sinned, what did he do? The Bible says that he sewed fig leaves together to do what? To cover his neckiness, right? So God didn't accept Adam's fig leaves. He did what? He went and killed an animal. It doesn't tell us what animal that he killed, but just me, just me. I think he killed a lamb as symbolic of himself. And he put those bloody garments on those, on Adam and Eve because their fig leaves was not enough. It symbolizes their righteousness. And God says, your righteousness will never cover your nakedness. You have to have the blood of Jesus to cover your nakedness and your ungodliness and your unrighteousness. So in my opinion, I believe that God took a little lamb, slew that lamb and made from that lamb some skins to cover their nakedness. So then I begin to think, okay, fig tree, fig tree, fig tree. There's only one tree in the New Testament that I know Jesus cursed. And it was the fig tree. Is there any connection? And I do believe there is. Because I believe what God was saying is, is I cursed the fig tree for two reasons. Number one, here it is. The problem is, is that it had leaves, but it didn't have figs. Because the leaves say the figs are here, but the figs wasn't there. Number two, the tree was cursed because it professed to have fruit, but did not. And what Jesus doesn't like about any of us is for us to act like we're something, but don't have the fruit to back it up. Jesus is saying, when you call yourself Christ-like, you ought to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. Again, I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm not against uh, speaking with tongues, but speaking with tongues is not a barometer or a thermometer to how spiritual you are. Jesus said repeatedly throughout the Gospels, you shall know them by their fruit. And brothers and sisters, you can't hate your brother and love God whom you haven't seen and hate your brother whom you have seen and call yourself a Christian. God said, I want you to be known as lovers of men. I want you to love people. I want you to have the joy of the Lord that is your strength. I want you to have a peace that will surpass human knowledge and understanding. I want you to have patience with difficult people. It's much easier, ladies and gentlemen, for me to get my sleeves long than it is to get fruit in my heart. And to love difficult people and to have patience with people. Now, I'm so glad I'm among perfection tonight because I can see you got it made. But would you tolerate your pastor tonight here? Because I'm going to just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you may not struggle with your sleeves, but you may struggle with your neighbor. And God said, this is all about two things. Get this, love God and love people. Why? Because God wants you in relationship with him and he wants you in relationship with people. Six commandments are about people and the four commandments are about God. But it's all about relationship. Can I keep going? So um, I want to I want to talk about what G- made Jesus angry for the next couple of minutes. What made Jesus angry? Jesus gets angry when he sees all leaves and no fruit. Jesus gets angry when religious attitudes get in the way of God's love. Yeah. So what is legalism? Legalism is when we are more concerned about rules than we are people. I want to say that again. Legalism is when we are more concerned about rules than we are people. Now this is very difficult for me to preach because I grew up very strict, very conservative. So I want you to understand that I am for rules, I am for standards, but I am more so for people. And I just believe that if we can love people and let God get on the inside, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. See, legalism means you think obeying the law, you can earn or merit salvation. And Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is all about legalism. It's all about coming against legalism. It is a Pauline epistle against legalism, okay? Here's Galatians 2 and verse 21. This is Paul speaking. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. Why did he say that? Because Judaizers, Judaizers were known as men who felt like That you couldn't still be saved even though Jesus went to the cross. Judaizers felt like you cannot be saved unless you still adhere to the law and you were circumcised. Okay, that's Judaizers. And so Paul is now addressing Judaizers in the the epistle of Galatians written to the Galatian church. And here's what he's telling them. I do not nullify the grace of God because I'm not preaching circumcision. I'm not nullifying the grace of God because I'm not preaching the law. He says, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, the epistle of Galatians is all about justification by faith alone, not obedience To the law. And Paul was saying in this verse that sin is so serious that only the atoning work of Jesus Christ can save us. This is what Paul is preaching. He is saying that circumcision no longer saves us. Uh, What we eat or don't eat does not save us. Keeping the law of Moses does not save us because of what Jesus did for us. That alone is what saves us. Can I get a witness now? Look at Philippians three and five. This is also Paul speaking, okay, because he's coming against legalism. And this is what he says. He says, Hey, listen, I want you guys to know that I was circumcised eight days after I was born according to Jewish law. So he's saying, hey, guys, I was circumcised. I was circumcised. I am a Jewish male and I was circumcised. So it's not that I wasn't circumcised. It's just that I don't believe that circumcision is what's going to save me. And it's not that me and Janet don't have standards and outward standards. We do. And we're going to adhere to those because we believe our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But according to the word of God, it's not standards that saves us. Because if it was standards that saves us, then we wouldn't need a savior. If circumcision was good enough to save you, then Jesus didn't need to come to earth and die for our sins. Because then circumcision was good enough. Moses' law was good enough. And Paul is saying, guess what? All Moses' law did is that it rode your sins forward, but it never put them behind you. What did it roll them forward to? It rolled them forward to Calvary. Now all of our sins are rolled back to Calvary. But in o- Old Testament, all of their sins was rolled forward to Calvary. But Calvary took care of all sin. It's a one and done. Jesus will never have to get on the cross again. No matter how much sin is in the world, it's all forgiven. if People will come to him and ask for forgiveness. But here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, listen, I'm I'm a Jew, dude. I'm circumcised. I happened on that happened on the eighth day. Now, here's what we might say today as Christians. Hey, I was baptized. I'm saved. I taught Sunday school. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I pay my tithes. And great. Thank you for all of that. Thank you. I mean that. Sincerely, thank you for every dollar you give. But here is what God is saying. Those things do not earn God's approval. Legalism is putting trust in a religion. Okay, I I have in my billfold a card that I am a member of a denomination, but I'm going to tell you right now when I stand before God and give an account, he's not going to ask me for my card. God's not going to ask me. He's not going to ask me now, son, tell me the name on your church. God is not concerned about the name on the building. God is not concerned, ladies and gentlemen, about what you call yourself. God is concerned, are you born again of the water and of the spirit? Because if you're not born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what God is going to be concerned about. And so Paul is saying this in Philippians 3 and 5. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I'm the creme de la creme, man. That's who I am. But I'm not going to point to I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews and that's what saves me. And again, I promise you, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I promise you, that's not my intent. It's not why I'm here. But some people have a relationship with the church, but they don't have a relationship with God. And it's not, brothers and sisters, the church that's going to save you. The church is where you serve. But Jesus is who saves you. The church gives you an expression to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ because you'll never have any more joy than when you're taking your gifts and using them to serve somebody else. So the church gives your gift an open door and it gives you an opportunity to express your gift and to serve others. But the church does not save you. Jesus saves you. So legalism is putting your trust in rules. Here's what Paul says in regards to the law. I am a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest. In other other words, we would call them the right wing people of Jesus's day. The Sadducees were more liberal in their ideologies and theologies. But here's what Paul is saying. He said, man, you talk about rules. I, I got the rules. I obeyed the rules. I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the spiritual elite. And in fact, it was the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were not happy with just 10 commandments. They had 613. Okay, let me tell you how crazy this got. This is how crazy that it got. They said that you couldn't eat an egg on the Sabbath because a hen had to work to produce it. That's what they said. That's in the Mishnah. Uh, mish- Mishnah, pardon me. Uh, In other words, what is Mishnah? What is Talmud? It is oral traditions of Jewish laws. And so, here's another one: If a mosquito bit you on a Saturday, you couldn't on Sunday you couldn't scratch it because if you scratched it, that was considered work. This is how crazy it got. Again, I told you, Sunday it got so crazy you could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit on mud because then you were making you were you were making mud pies and that was work. And we laugh at that, right? We think that's foolish, but I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people look at Pentecostals and think we're foolish because of some of the traditions of man that we've put up there as salvation and they're not salvation issues. And I'm not necessarily liking it But I'm bound by truth, ladies and gentlemen, because Paul was saying Pharisees, I kept the rules and there's nothing wrong with rules. But the problem comes when we think these things are going to give us points with God. I want you to get in your spirit. This is hard to get. It's hard because no one loves us unconditionally. Your boss don't love you unconditionally. When you get to your job, he expects you to show up and perform. But God loves you unconditionally. And we can't wrap our mind around that. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loves us because we deserve it. No, because we keep certain rules. No, it's because we are covered in the blood of Jesus. And when Jesus sees the blood, he is satisfied with us. He loves us. So so what, what we get out of serving one another is joy. We don't get approval. Let me break this down. When I am preaching, I am... Ex- I love preaching. I love teaching. Why? Because it's 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 part of what God's called me to do. So it brings me great joy. Janet never has to ask me to study. She never has to ask me to read. She never has to say, Wayne, you might want to study tonight because you're preaching this weekend. She didn't have to do that. Why? Because I love it. See, when, when you're serving, you're serving out of joy because that's what God called you to do. I'm not up here serving trying to earn God's love. He already loves me. He's already smiling on me. And when you start getting that, then you start, you, 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 you start changing your mindset that I'm not serving God now because I'm afraid of hell. I'm serving God because I love him. And nobody treats me like Jesus. Nobody loves me like Jesus. Nobody has given me as many chances as Jesus has given me. And so then you as you mature in Christ, see, um, here, here's what you got to understand. Justification, justification means just as if you never did it. Jesus saves you. That's it. He saves you. Now, sanctification means you are in the process of being saved. You are now separating yourself from sin, and you're doing your best to become more and more like Christ and produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's sanctification. Glorification says you are saved. Okay? So justification is God's work. It's him alone. He justified you. He, he, he gave you his. In other words, this is the great exchange. He took your sin and gave you salvation. He took your filthy righteousness and gave you his righteousness. He took your sin and he gave you his holiness. It's the great exchange. You can't do that. You can't earn that right? That's all what God has done for you. That's justification. Now, what you start doing for God, so to speak, is you start now sanctifying yourself, pulling yourself away from the world and the ideologies of the world and what the world says is important because what the world says is important and what God says is important is two different things, And then glorification, you're not going to have anything to do with that because God's going to change you in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. So it starts with God and it ends with God. And in the middle, you're trying to get as close to God as you can. Look like him, act like him, talk like him, walk like him, live like him. Why? So that his reputation can be magnified in the earth. Why? Because you are an ambassador of Jesus. And when people see you, they feel the love of God. They see the peace of God. You lay hands on them and God heals them. You lead them to the foot of the cross. And now God's reputation is magnified in the earth. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. And so we serve out of joy not to get approval. God approves of you, not because of what you do. He approves of you because of what Christ has done for you already. Okay. So, so th- this is very important to me. Religion is based on performance. Performance. Christianity is based on a person. Religion will kill your joy. But in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. I'm going to veer off of my notes for just a minute, but I hope to segue this in. See, the reason why a lot of Christians don't have joy is because they got bitterness against God. Because God didn't do it the way they thought he was going to do it. Bitterness will eat your joy like a cancer. Well, I'm bitter against my spouse. Guess what? It's going to eat your joy like a cancer. You're bitter against somebody in the church. You can even be, have bitterness in your heart against a pastor, this pastor. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to eat your joy. Why? Because then God didn't do it the way you thought he was going to do it. This person didn't do it the way you thought they were going to do it. This didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. Your spouse is not treating you the way you thought your spouse would treat you. And now you get bitterness in your heart and it eats all of your joy. And guess what? You know what bitterness produces? It produces sour Christians. And this is why forgiveness. See, forgiveness... The reason why a lot of people don't forgive is because they're blaming the other person. I'm blaming my spouse. I'm blaming God. I'm blaming my Christian that sits across you know, the aisle from me. I'm blaming my pastor. And then if you forgave, then you wouldn't have no one to blame. But you're still unhappy because that's just what you're choosing to be. I'm not trying to be ugly. But happiness is a choice. Now, listen, I may not like what you do and it may hurt me because you're making a choice that is against God, against me, against the church. And I may not like it. It may hurt me. But at the end of the day, I'm as happy as I choose to be. And I know we don't like hearing that because we always like, well, I'm I'm not happy because my spouse is not making me happy. And I'm not happy because God's not doing what I want him to do. God's ways are never your ways. God's thoughts are never your thoughts. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are not offended in me. I'm going to tell you, it blows my mind that Jesus didn't go see John the Baptist in prison. It still blows my mind. And John was offended. And I get it. I understand. But Jesus got back up and said, there ain't a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I guess if you want, you can ask him why he didn't go visit him in prison. But probably when you see Jesus, you ain't going to be too worried about it. But I'm going to just tell you right now, Jesus ain't going to always do it the way you thought he should do it. And if you're not careful, you can get offended in Jesus and bitterness get in your heart and bitterness. that eat your joy like a cancer. But there ought to be. I'm not saying that we all live on cloud nine every day. We all go through life, right? There's seasons for everything. But I'm talking about overall. There ought to be joy when we come to God's house. There ought to be worship and excitement and smiles and some laughter when we come to God's house. Right? Okay, I got just a few more minutes. Let's just talk real quick about some characteristics of legalistic people. They get offended easily. Why? Because they let you know that you're not measured up. You're not measuring up. Have you ever walked into a church and they looked you up from head to toe? Have you? You know what they were doing? I'm going to tell you what they were doing. They were seeing if you measured up. I've walked into church as a, as a preacher, and that's the first time they saw me, and here they go. Starting my toe, walk their way up, checking to see if I've had a ring on, what I'm wearing. what I'm, they're, they're just looking. Do you measure up? Because if you don't measure up, guess what? You're out of the club. You're out the click. I don't preach a lot of uh, outside places anymore. Why? Because I don't think like them. I don't measure up. And that's okay. I've made peace with that. I made I made peace with that. I'm at peace with that because what I got to do is I got to I got to live for an audience of one. I got to make sure I'm doing pleasing him, not pleasing them. Make sense. Okay. so here's the point that I want to make is this that that legalistic people are easy to offend and they constantly live in a state of being upset i'm going to prove it in scripture look at luke 11:38 the pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that jesus didn't wash up for meals because jesus didn't wash up for a meal this was a major offense to of this pharisee he was upset How dare you walk through this field and pluck some heads of grain, you and your disciple, without washing your hands? And they got upset about it. Why? Because he didn't keep the rules. Jesus didn't keep the rules. He didn't keep their rules. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want one person walking away from your convictions. Because if you walk away from your convictions, that's sin to you. I'm going to tell you all again, if you walk away from your convictions, that is sin to you. But you must understand not everybody knows what you know. Not everybody was raised the way you were raised. And what God doesn't want is he doesn't want your religious attitudes that you may have grown up with and measure people by them. Well, if you don't look like me, act like me, talk like me, spit white like me, then you, you can't be in this club. And that's what God is saying. You know what? I resent that because I want everybody to be able to feel my love and I want everybody to feel my presence. Everybody all right. OK, so can we keep going? A couple more minutes. Legalistic Christians are good, real good at guilt trips. They love words like should, could. Have to, ought to, they're very good at blaming, condemning, denouncing, and loading on guilt trips. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23 and 4. They pile up back, breaking burdens, and they lay them on other people's shoulders, and yet they themselves will not raise a finger to move them. Here's what Jesus, listen, please. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I'm going to give you more worry. Jesus did not say, hey, take my hard yoke upon, me, upon you and I'm going to give you heavy burdens. Here's what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, I, I want you to get this, please. Religion, and again, I do not mean this To hurt anyone's feelings. But religion is about control. And it's about manipulation. You say, what do you mean? Study the Pharisees. They were all about trying to control Jesus. And to manipulate Jesus. What do you mean by that? So they come up alongside Jesus and said, hey, tell me. Uh, we caught somebody in the act of adultery. What do you say? Jesus could have gotten to a major debate with them. But you know what? He didn't. Here's what he said. If you're without sin, cast the first stone. End of story. So now they come back up to him and say, hey, uh, can you can you tell us who you are and why you think you are who you are? Can you Can you do that for us? And Jesus said, listen, cats, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm called to do. I don't have to do anything like that to prove to you in the story. Jesus did not get entangled by their manipulations. He did not allow them to control them by their religious traditions. In fact, they ask him, why do you why do you break these traditions? And then God asked them, why do you break the commandments of the law? Why why are you doing it? Jesus again didn't get entangled with them. He didn't allow their manipulation and their control to weigh him down. See, here, here's what you gotta understand. Religion at its core is about control and manipulation. But Jesus was always about love and release. It's not that God releases you to just go out there and sin and do whatever you want to and just, you know, you know, show the world your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If that's what you think I'm saying, you're totally misconstrued the last 42 minutes of this message. What I'm saying is, is that personal standards and personal convictions, we should have them. But teaching Bible studies and wearing our sleeves long and doing other things does not earn us brownie points with God. What saves us is what Jesus did for us at Calvary. I want you to look at Proverbs and I'll end with this Proverbs 11 and 12. He who belittles and despises his neighbor lacks sense. Remember this little people be little people because they want to feel better about themselves. So they belittle others, but great people make others feel great. Welcome into this house. We don't want anything blocking access to the presence of almighty God. And if you did not get why I played this song on Sunday, The reason why I played that song is because one touch can change everything. And Jesus got upset when people tried to block. There was one man that shout, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. What'd they say? Man, shut up. Jesus ain't got time for you. Shut up. Jesus didn't like anybody that tried to block him from touching them. Why? Because one touch of Jesus can change everything. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you the same questions that I ask you on Sunday. I'm going to ask you these questions again because I want them to get into your spirit. My brothers and sisters, if I can have your attention, I'm going to ask you three questions. Here they are. Look up on the screen. When you're at church, do you intentionally seek out new people? Welcome them and seek to serve them and love them. Number two, do you inconvenience yourself for the sake of seeing others introduced to Jesus? Nine times out of ten, what we do is we try to save people. I'm going to encourage you not to do that approach. I'm going to encourage you to meet a felt need. And then when you start earning their respect because you're actually adding value to them, then they'll start opening up their heart to some other things you have. But Jesus, normally, normally Jesus met a felt need. And when he met a felt need, they started opening up their heart. But we try to get people saved and we can't save people anyway. <laughs> Here's the question. Do you inconvenience yourself for the sake of seeing others introduced to Jesus? I would encourage you to stop trying to save people and just love people. And let them see Jesus in you until they ask you, why are you different? And then guess what you get to do? You get to lead them to the cross. Here's what made a difference in my life. Here's the third question. And I ask, do you judge this church by how it meets your needs? Or by how it gives you an opportunity to serve others. Father. Lord, really the last two services have been uncomfortable for me. This takes me out of my comfort zone. Lord, I want to live for an audience of one. And I want to please you. And so, God, I pray that you would take this word tonight, that you would put it in our heart, convict us, talk to us. God, you're not asking us to change our convictions. You're not asking us to change our standards. But what you are asking us is to love people no matter where they are. Because you get really upset when religious attitudes block the access of your love. So Lord, I'm just asking you tonight, help us to come into your image. Help us to think like you think. Help us to love like you love. Help us to be more like you so that we can be your representatives, your ambassadors in the earth. And this great harvest that you want, Lord, we want to be a part of it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Sister Kaylee's going to sing. And just before you go, can you just stand right there where you are and just ask the Lord, just help me. God, what, what I need to hear tonight, what I need to apply, would you help me, God? Would you give me revelation? Oh God, cut away any legalism and judgmentalism in my life. Let the love of God shine in my life. Father, put us at the right place at the right Is talking to you as your pastor, there's there's three levels. There's three levels. One level is the word of God. And no matter what you think, or no matter what I think, when this word calls it sin, it's sin, no matter what any of us think. And we can say, Well, I'm not convicted of that. If God calls it sin, it don't matter if you're convicted. It's sin. No matter what you think or what I think, it's what God thinks. The next level is pastor. And the Bible says to obey your pastor for they watch for your soul. And then the next level is personal convictions. Those are the three levels that we live by. One, God and his word and what he calls sin. Doesn't matter if you're convicted or not. The next level is your pastor and what he puts out there to feed you and and feels that this is you know what what this church needs and and where we need to go and then the third level is your own personal convictions and we need all three now there's a personal standard that i want for this platform and it's not a salvation standard but when these ladies and these gentlemen get on this platform and i get on this platform what I don't want is I don't want you struggling by what we're wearing when we're trying to lead you into the presence of God. I want that to be the least of your worries. So if you want to get on this platform, then you're going to adhere to pastor standard. It's not a heaven and a hell issue. It's a pastor issue. Because when people get up here, I don't want you looking at what we're wearing. Because we're trying to lead you into the presence of God. Make sense? But pastor may not be preaching something. But if God is speaking to you to take it off, then you need to take it off. Because God is convicting you of that. If you say, hey, my buddies can watch this level of a movie, but I just don't feel right about it. Then you let your buddies watch that level of movie, but you make your exit. Why? Because God is convicting you of that. You say, well, pastor doesn't say this or that. It doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit will convict your heart. And you say, well, why? My daddy said, Wayne, I never did understand, son, why God wouldn't let me wear cufflinks. He said, but... I dressed real loud when I came out of the world. When I came out of the world, God God really convicted me. Now, my daddy never would play cards with us. We begged him to play cards like Skipbo and Uno and Phase 10. He never would. I do not know this, so what I'm fixing to tell you is pure speculation. But there may have been a good possibility that my dad dealt with gambling. I don't know that because he wouldn't tell me a lot about his past because he stayed out of church for a long time and he never would share that with me and I understand. But now looking back on it, that's a good speculation and I could be wrong. But God was convicting him so he wouldn't even touch a skip card. Was it wrong for us to play skip Of course not. Was it wrong for him? Probably so. You understand what I'm saying? I love you. But I can't be with you 24-7, but the Holy Spirit can. And if you will listen to the Holy Spirit, it'll tell you, you need to shut that book. You need to walk out of that movie. You need to cut that television show off and change the channel. You need to quit saying what you're saying, because what you're really doing is gossiping. If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, it will lead you and it will guide you. And I don't have to get up here to control you because the Holy Spirit is greater than man's control. Do you feel the Holy Spirit in this room? Do you feel a confirmation of this word right now? Would you just touch your neighbor and ask the Lord to help us as we walk this out? Would you do that? Father, would you help us as we walk this out? This is not about God control. It's not about manipulation. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about writing your word upon our hearts. It's about us falling so in love with you that we're not trying to have one foot in the world and another foot in the church. God, it's about us falling in love with you, not because we're afraid of hell but we're so in love with you that we don't want to hurt you by our sin, that we don't want to separate our relationship, that we want the anointing on our life and we covet the anointing and the glory of God so much that we want to walk, oh God, separated from sin to fulfill the will of God in the earth. In Jesus' mighty name. Okay, church. Have you received the word of the Lord tonight? Have you you received it in the spirit that I said it in tonight? Okay. Well, I love you. I pray that you have a good night's rest. May the Lord put you at the right place at the right time. May He bring us back Sunday. May we just have a marvelous demonstration of God's love in this house. Turn around and give some love away. Thank you for being in Wednesday night. Have a great night. Have a good night's rest. I love all of you.